The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. Uh, we just started a brand new series last week in the book of 1 Corinthians. We call it Pretty Ugly Bride. And last week we talked about how uh, the whole reason that we're calling it that is that Paul is the guy, he's the church planter in the city of Corinth. It was a major city in the ancient Roman Empire. Somewhere between 250,000 people, up to 600,000 people that the city swelled to in its height of power. It was a very rich city. It controlled the, uh, I don't know if you guys, if you guys were here, you talk about the, the Greek area up here and the Greek area up here. This is the Peloponnesian Peninsula down here. And there's a whole bunch of, because Greek is a kind of weird looking country. And then, uh, I mean, nothing, if you're Greek, I apologize. Uh, and you have the two kind of parts of Greek here and it's connected by this isthmus, this little, like kind of turkey neck that kind of keeps it from floating out into the Mediterranean Sea. And, uh, Corinth was right in the middle of that isthmus. And so it controlled traffic from southern Greece, the Peloponnesian Peninsula, up to northern Greece. And it also, because uh, the, if you were to, if you're trying to get to the other side of Greece from either direction, the trip around the south, kind of bulbous area of Greece to the other side was a pretty tricky area. And it was added, I think, like 200 and some miles to your trek. And so what they would actually do is they would come and park your boat on one side of the land. And if you had a small, if you have a large boat, they would just unpack it and take all your stuff to the other side put it on another boat and then take it where it needed to go. And you cut off a lot of time. Um, it's sort of like 31 did for us. If you were here before 31 came through, like, you know, like 31 came through, you're like, wow, we can get to places now. Um, because I don't know if you weren't here before. Before. Like it was, the only thing we had was, you know, we had like three rows in the whole county. It was kind of crazy. And if you had a small boat, they would take it, you'd park it, and they'd actually take it out of the water, roll it across a three and a half mile isthmus, and drop it on the other side. And Corinth was right smack dab in the middle of that. So they controlled trade from north to south and east to west. In about 146 BC, it was actually destroyed. The ancient city of Corinth was destroyed. And Julius Caesar later, about maybe 100 years or so later, I mean, somewhere around there, uh, he, he started it back. And it, so it was a boom town. It didn't exist, and all of a sudden it just, boom, it explodes. It's, I mean, people are making money. People are moving in. It's a cosmopolitan area. There are people from all over the world there. So you'd hear, see different colors, different languages you would hear, different dialects, different people worshiping different kind of gods. It was a very, very cosmopolitan city, a lot like, you know, well, it's not quite like Myrtle Beach, but, you know, you can imagine a very cosmopolitan, It They might have had that there as well, but it was a very cosmopolitan city, very, very uh, wealthy, very educated, very diverse and it's to this city that Paul came and he helped to plant a church there. And later on, he goes, he, he gets a church going. He's kind of slow going at first. In fact, it's such a slow going. Like, guys, if you were a part of our church plant a year ago, like, this would have been, like, we couldn't, like, wow, this is a crazy crowd. But this is you, like, walking in, you're like, oh, this is a tiny crowd. This to us, this is like, whoa, this is like an arena. Uh, but, but Paul had a slow going in the beginning of his church plant as well. In fact, it was so bad that he wanted to leave the city of Corinth. And God came to him and spoke to him and said, you can't leave. I have you safe, I have you in my hand, I have a plan for you here. And then the church started to grow. And so he leaves some people in charge of the church and he goes to the city of Ephesus. Uh, and while he's in Ephesus, he starts to hear some stories from the city of Corinth. Like, 
kind of disturbing stories, some rumors coming around to him. And he's thinking, if that's true, then that's not good. And more and more stories come to him. And then he, he exchanges, because they didn't have like Skype or email. He couldn't like jump on United Flight 107 and fly back to Corinth and check in with them and say, hey, you guys are going crazy. Like he had to like write letters to them. And so they wrote a letter to him, or we're not really sure if he initiated it. But or some, some letters were exchanged. And then we have 1 Corinthians that's sort of, sort of uh, preserved for us. And Paul is going to, he is not very happy with this church. It is a pretty ugly church. Like things have devolved into a very ugly state there. Things are going crazy. They're, mis, they're, uh, they're mistreating the, the poor and the lowly in their church. Uh, sex is going crazy. There's, there's a man who's actually sleeping or living with his dad's wife, his stepmom. So if you think you came from a messed up church, Corinth was a very messy church. They had weird theology. Their meetings when they would get together, like everybody was talking at once and everybody thought they could like prophesy and speak all at the same time. So it was like mass chaos in this church and Paul is riding them to, and he's going to light into that church. But before he does... He opens the book. He opens his letter by saying, I'm writing to you who are saints. Hey, you guys are crazy. You guys are messed up. It's a pretty ugly church. But I'm writing to you who are the saints in Christ Jesus. And where we ended last week was the message to say that I don't know if you're a believer I don't know what your life has been like the past few weeks, the past few months, the past few years. Maybe you feel a million miles away from God. Maybe your life doesn't reflect the life of what you know a believer should look like at all. But if you are a believer in Christ, you are a saint. And maybe you've had a bad experience with church. Maybe you've come from a bad background. Maybe we had a, like a raise your hands if you've had a bad experience with church. And almost everybody raised their hand. And we said what we said was that if you've had a bad experience with church, welcome to the church. It's been that way since the very beginning. In fact, it's been that way since before even the city, the church in the city of Corinth. It was like that with God's people back when Moses, he leads them out of Egypt. Like there's a, a pillar of fire by night to guide them and a cloud of, by day. It, it floats around the desert and leads them where they should go. When they get stuck at the, the Red Sea and they think they're going to die, God parts the sea. They walk through. They sit on the bottom of the mountain and Moses goes up to talk directly to God. There's thunders and lightnings all around. And when in the 40 days that Moses was gone on the top, of the mountain, Israel gets afraid and they decide, hey, this God who like parted the sea, who like caused like the Nile to turn into blood and, you know, caused like plagues all over the place. He let us out. There's fire by, day, by night, cloud by day. Like that whole God who parted the ocean for us. Yeah, we'd rather worship a golden calf. Aaron, Moses' brother, why don't you make one for us so we can worship that? And the church from the very beginning has been messed up. When you go back to the very beginning, God creates Adam and Eve in the garden. I mean, they're in the garden. It's perfect. It's beautiful. Adam has a cush job. I told you guys before, it's like a corner job. He's running the world. I mean, that's, I mean, Bill Gates, I mean, he's running the whole world. President of the United States, he's running the world. He is in a garden. He doesn't have to work like there's, there's, Food growing for him everywhere. He's walking with God by day. God comes and says, hey, it's not good for you to be alone. And he makes, hello, a beautiful naked woman that he's hanging out in the garden alone with. 
Things are good for he and Eve. And like five minutes later, they're talking to a talking snake. Hello, not a good idea. Picking a plant, the one thing God told them not to do, and they forget. So God's first congregation, which he was kind of like the senior pastor of already in the garden, they messed up in the beginning. So if you've had a bad experience with the church, welcome to life. But if we here today, if you are here today and you are called by God, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a saint. And God said he will perfect us in the final day. If you're not a believer, you can have a part in that. The reason that we're in the book of Corinth is because as a church, what we do, I say as a church, like we're like a little over a year old. We're basically a teething baby at this point. I don't even know if we're teething yet. I guess we're on a bottle. I don't know. But uh, the reason that we do this is because it really doesn't matter what I get up here and say or what Dale gets up here and says. It really matters what scripture says. And so we take, we go through chunks of the Bible at a time and we're going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians for a long time. I'm not even going to tell you how long anymore. Just, just assume we'll be in there forever and then when we're finished, you'll be actually pleased and excited. Um, I was thinking this week about, um, I guess I was like 14 years old. I got a summer job. My uncle owned, my great uncle owned a television repair shop. That was back when people repaired TVs. Today we just throw them away when they, we, we, like they mess up because it's not worth it anymore. But at this point, people, they remember they had tubes in the TVs and like they're actually valuable. And so you had to get the TV repaired if something happened. And uh, he invited me to come up to Columbia and to stay with him and to help work in his shop during the summer. And uh, I got a job. I was making like $350 a week because he was working me like crazy. And I thought, man, I am making bank. I, I started to buy stuff on my own because my parents said, like, if they, like, if, if they were going to pay for my clothes, then they picked out my clothes. But if I pay for my clothes, I got to pick up my own clothes. And so I even bought this, like, my, one of my first paychecks, I bought this silk short sleeve turquoise shirt. I thought I was the man. It was uh, pretty ugly, but I, I thought I was the man at the time. But I, I worked for him because my uncle loved summertime because there are thunder and lightning storms in the summer. And what happens when you have a thunder and lightning storm in your area? It busts the TVs. And so he would, like, he would literally, like, he, he would, he would, like, do, like, evil laughs whenever he heard thunder. If he saw lightning off in the distance, he would do his fingers like this. He's like, there comes some money. And he would actually, he, he, would, he had a big warehouse that he kept the TVs to be repaired. And in the summer, he would actually rent an 18, like the trailer of an 18-wheeler and park it so we could park. The, the, I mean, we just loved it. They're just flying after the lightning storm. They're just flooding in the next day. We, he loved it. And I was thinking about how, like, for him to see the lightning and to hear, like, people's TVs were blowing up, that was very good news. But for the people who are living in that house... Not such a good news, is it? But life is kind of like that. Like life is full of like good news for you is often bad news for somebody else. Uh, Dale is very like he can't stop smiling this morning because he's a Gamecock fan. 
And uh, yesterday before the game, he was like pulling the old Lou Holtz kind of like, I just hope we compete and keep it a close game. I just hope that, I just hope all our players don't get injured and we don't get too embarrassed. But then when they're like leading, you like, like he's like looking at his phone while we were still out of Coastal and he was like, like he was getting really excited about it. And this morning he's like smiling like ear to ear. Like he's very excited. It's good news for him. If you're a Georgia fan today, you're not liking life. Uh, life is like that a lot. Like what's good news for one person is really bad news for somebody else. And Christianity is kind of like that, isn't it? Like I don't know, maybe you in here, I don't know when you became a believer, if you are a believer. Maybe you're not here today and you're not a believer and you hear the story of Christianity. You hear the story of Jesus and who he was and what he did for you on the cross. And maybe that sounds like craziness and foolishness to you. And let's just own this truth in the room today. It is kind of a crazy story. If you're a believer here today, you believe that like God, the third person that God, the second person that God had actually, so God's a trinity, so that's already kind of crazy. He's three, but he's one. He's, he's, not, he's not one, but he's not three. He's three and one, and he's not a clover leaf, and he's not fire. I don't know. It's like very complicated. We can't get our head around it. The second person that God had came and became a human, born of, of, as a baby of a virgin. So it's not even like, like born of a woman, like born of a, a virgin who had never said, we say she had never been with a man. He grew up. He lived a perfect life. Then, then, though he didn't deserve it, somebody killed him on a cross. And that somehow paid for the sin that you owe and that I owe. And that now that like somehow appeases the wrath of God towards us. And then like three days later, he was in a grave and he rose again. And he appeared to some people on earth and then he went to heaven and now he's somewhere in heaven or somewhere. And he's like the Bible says at the end, he's coming back on a white horse and there's like flames and there's a sword coming out of his mouth. That's, if you hear it all at once, can we just own that's kind of a crazy story? And so if you're here today and you're not a believer, even if you are a believer, you say, hey, that's kind of crazy. That's kind of outlandish. It absolutely is. And that's what Paul is addressing in this section that Jamie read. Thank you, Jamie. In 1 Corinthians 1, if you have your Bible, you can turn to verse 18. To some of us today, when we're going to read this, this sounds precious to us. Some of us in this room have centered our lives around this. Maybe to some other people in this room, it's sort of madness. It's kind of crazy. Verse 18, for the word of the cross is folly or foolishness, it's crazy talk to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Isn't that crazy? Dale watched that game last night. He watched the end when Dylan Thompson threw the interception and it looked like they might have a chance to lose or to tie it up and they missed the field goal. Like to Dale, Dale was like jumping out of his skin at that moment. But if you're a Georgia fan, that is crazy. How can you miss a 23-yarder? And you hear this morning the story of Christ and him crucified. Some of us in this room, it's precious. It's the power of God. But to some of us, it's foolishness and folly. Verse 19 
For it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Verse 20. Where is the one who's wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, but pleased God through the folly of what we preach. So here, here's the truth. Every week whenever I get up here to preach, or Dale or Jonathan or anybody else, or anybody who's in a, a pulpit that's preaching Christ around this nation, around the world, I get up preparing to preach foolishness. It sounds crazy. Maybe some of you remember when it sounded crazy to you. Or maybe it sounds crazy to you today. But it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Maybe you're in here today and just like, just remember for a minute. Maybe it was a few months ago. Maybe it was a year ago. Maybe it was 20 years ago. Do you remember when suddenly it changed from being crazy talk to being something that changed your heart? I think it's good to remember that sometimes. Verse 22, for Jews demand signs. That's because the Jews weren't waiting for a crucified Savior to come and save them. They weren't waiting for a suffering Savior to come and save them. They were waiting for somebody powerful, a warrior, a great king to come and deliver them from their oppressors. But Jesus came, a peasant, from the armpit of the world, from a lowly family and a lowly, lowly town. He didn't have any money. He had no military prowess. We don't even know if he was all that eloquent. We know he preached the word. We know that he wowed people, but we don't know if he was eloquent or not. And he came meek and lowly and suffered. His great triumph wasn't leading. He didn't start a great church that had 10,000 people. Whenever he left, he had a handful of people that followed him. And his great triumph wasn't leading the nation to freedom. It wasn't making a great speech that everybody remembered. It was being brutally killed and hung on a cross. And whenever he rose again, he didn't like raise again like so that everybody could see him. It was kind of secret. Only a few people saw him. I wouldn't have done it that way. I would have risen like triumphantly. I would have had like trumpets blaring and like strobe lights going on and lasers and fog. I would have erupted dramatically out of the grave so that everybody could see me. I would be like a hundred feet tall in a bellowing voice and said, see, I told you. But he quietly, secretly suffered and rose again. And that was that was crazy to the Jews. That's why they demanded a sign. They didn't believe it. Then the Greeks seek wisdom. 
I mean, again, we've owned this. The story is a crazy story. It doesn't make any sense. If you and I were God and we had to save people, that is, if you assume people need saving, that's not the way I would do it or the way that you would do it. Nobody had thought it up yet. Nobody had considered that God would come in the form of a man and suffer for your sins and for my sins in our stead. Nobody. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, so it's both Jews, so out of the Jews, the religious, and out of the Greeks, the intellectual, the irreligious, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men. The weakness of God is stronger than men. The message of the cross is ugly and foolish. It offends our sensibilities and our intellects. It's a stumbling block. None of us, if we were thinking up a religion, we wouldn't think up a religion that that appealed to nobody. That's what Paul is saying here. He's saying the message of the cross naturally appeals to nobody. It naturally rules out the religious because it says your way, like you think you can live a good life and you cannot do certain things and you do certain things. Like I don't do certain sins or I, and I do these certain things. I read my Bible. I come to church. I'm a good person. I give some money. I help people out. Like, like you think like that's going to, that, if you can outweigh your bad with your good, that's somehow going to get you over the hump. He says your, your goodness is filthy rags that offends the religious. But to the Greek, to the intellectual, to the modern intellectual uh, snob, to the modern intellectual elite, at once it says, no, it doesn't make sense. It will never make sense to you as long as you consider yourself the judge that is judging what is wise and foolish. You and I aren't in the, the chair to decide that. Only God decides what's wise and foolish. And if we judge what he does by our sense of right and wrong, our sense of wisdom and folly, we're going to be, it's just a crapshoot. You're playing Russian roulette. Because your understanding, my understanding, could not match his. It rules out the religious and the irreligious because the message is contrary to both. It says you can never be good enough and it'll never make sense. You don't get to judge and decide. Look at verse 24. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ The power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men. The weakness of God is stronger than men. For, verse 26, for consider your calling, brothers. So, hey, so people here gathered in these metal chairs in this school gym. Consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. That's probably true of this room. 
There's probably not many wise, many powerful, many members of the nobility in this room. Did you like one day wake up and decide, hey, I'm going to follow Christ? And like you look back and say, man, I chose well. I was really smart to make that decision. Or I'm glad I was born into a family of believers and so therefore I am a believer. It doesn't happen that way. You don't inherit it. You're not smart enough to decide it. You're not good enough. Not many were noble. Not many were wise. Not many were powerful. Why? Look at the next verse. But, verse 27, but God chose. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, that's you guys, that's me, to bring to nothing things that are. And here's why. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. The people God chooses, not only is the message of the cross ugly and foolish, but the people God chooses are ugly and foolish. That is the requirement to enter the kingdom. He intentionally designed salvation. If you're a believer today and you're on the other side of faith, he intentionally designed salvation so that he would get all the glory because you were weak and you were foolish. You and I were ugly. We didn't have anything in ourselves that like made him. He's not walking along the seashore and he sees you lying there and says, oh man, that is a really awesome person. I need to get them. I'm going to grab them. I, if I don't have them, my collection of people will be incomplete. He saw you and I when we were far away from him, when there was nothing lovely or lovable about us and he plucked us out and drew you to himself. Being ugly and foolish and low and despised is the requirement for salvation. And so therefore, if you, if you want to be a believer, if you want to be saved, if you want to be a member of God's family, if you're going to enter into faith, into a relationship with him, you have to acknowledge that you are ugly and foolish and weak. He doesn't make you ugly and foolish and weak. We already are. We get to own it. Even the most powerful, richest person in this room, the most powerful, richest person in the world, comparison to God is weak and lowly and dirty, has nothing beautiful in themselves. In God's gracious love to you, he comes and he gives his son for you to draw you to himself. You must see yourself in this light for the cross and Jesus to become precious. If you're in an upstairs room at your home and like there's a ladder, that's not precious to you. But if you're in an upstairs room at your home and there's a fire downstairs at the stairs, that ladder is suddenly precious. Precious. 
And if you see that you, apart from Christ, are helpless and hopeless and ugly and foolish, all of a sudden when you hear about what he has done for you and for me on the cross, it's the most precious thing in the world. It's a crazy, ugly story, but suddenly it becomes beautiful. And it says there in verse 29 that he designed it that way so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. It eclipses all boasting, all pride. I don't know how many of you guys have been a part of a church and or maybe you yourselves have been or you've known Christians who are kind of prideful. I think one reason that Christians have a bad name, there's a, several reasons, a lot of reasons maybe that Christians have a bad name in America, but I think one reason Christians have a bad name in America is because we tend to be well, known as the religious ones that keep a good code. And because of that, because we live life morally, fairly upright or more upright than our neighbors, we get prideful. But if you see yourself in this light, it takes away all pride. A Christian should be the most humble person in the world. And yet, should be the most confident and secure person in the world. Because the gospel has two sides. The gospel says on one one side, it says, you are far worse off than you ever thought you were. You are ugly and you are foolish. You despise your love. But the good news on the other side says, but through Christ, you are far more loved than you ever dared to dream. And so therefore, you, you see like, oh wow, like I've been pulled up from the depths and yet I've been undergirded by his love and his sacrifice for me. So I am both humble and confident all at the same time. Christians should be the only people in the world that have that, that mixture of confidence and humility through the gospel, through the message of the cross. Look at verse 30 and 31. And because of him. So look at this, that's another reason. There's all boasting is taken away. Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us Wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it is written, let no one who let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. God gives himself in exchange to the ugly and to the foolish. It is designed. God gives himself in exchange for the ugly and the foolish. So like you're saying, like, man, Randy, you've been a downer all morning long. It's a it's a it's a cloudy day outside. I didn't need more down than like I'm a Georgia fan. I didn't need more, I didn't need to be on the any sadder than I was when I came in here. But here's the other side of the pillow. That God gives himself in exchange to the ugly and to the foolish. It's designed so that he gets all the glory. He gets all the props. It's because of him. He's the giver of the gift. He's the giver of the gift. That we are in him. God is the gift. He's the prize. He's the one you get. You don't get like safety from hell. You don't get like assurance of heaven. You don't get a better life now where every day is a Friday or everything's going to be hunky-dory for you. Every day is going to be sunshine and sparkles and rainbows like laid out before you. That's not what he says you get. 
He says you get him. He's the prize. Because he's the one for whom you're created. And he's the one by whom you're created. And for you to know him, to be connected to him, is for you to find life itself. Not just safety from hell, but to find him is to find life. To find a reason to get up in the morning. When you find him, the sky looks bluer. I'm not saying there's, there's no like cloudy days. I'm just saying the sky looks bluer. The sunrise looks more beautiful because you found him. You found the one who created the sun, who created that sky, who created the earth. He created you. And when you find him, when you're connected to him, when you enjoy sweet communion with him, whether, whether before you were separated from him, when you've discovered that, when you find that, when you taste that, life looks different. The storm feels different though you're still in the storm. God is the giver of the gift and he's the prize. And then look, Jesus is wisdom to the ugly and the foolish. That means he is the one who comes and opens your eyes one day when you heard the news and before it seemed like foolishness and crazy talk one day it seemed precious to you he's the one that opened your eyes. Maybe you're here today and it seemed foolish and precious when you came in here today. Maybe God pray that one, that during this service, all of a sudden, it will seem precious and beautiful to you. He does that. He is wisdom. For you see what's wisdom to see the way things are. He, to see you for yourself, who you really are, and to see who He is for who He really is, and to see Jesus for who He really was, was and what He did for what it really was. He is wisdom to the ugly and the foolish. He is righteousness to the ugly and to the foolish. So today, if you're a believer, your right standing before God and before each other is not based upon your performance. You may be a great performer. You might nail every day. You might never talk Christ's cross to your wife. You might never, like, steal a pencil from work. You might just be, like, nailing, like, your Bible time every day. You're reading all those chapters. You don't miss any days. Your prayer life is, you're nailing it every single day. That's not your righteousness. That is filthy rags. Your righteousness before God and man is Jesus Christ standing there today before the Father. This is the Lamb who is slain for you and for me. And if you're not a believer in Christ today, you might have been the irreligious elite and it seems foolish or you might be religious and you think you've checked off all the boxes that keep you right. He is your only hope for righteousness today. He is wisdom. He is righteousness to the ugly and foolish. And he is sanctification to the ugly and foolish. I remember reading this passage. I remember reading this passage, reading a sermon by a guy named Jonathan Edwards. I remember that the word that Jesus was my sanctification. That means that not only are you justified before God by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, but like how you grow as a Christian and become more and more like Christ. That doesn't happen by your discipline. It doesn't happen by your effort. That happens by you appropriating what Jesus did for you on your behalf in your life daily. He's the way that you grow as a believer not by your own effort. And then he is redemption. One day, if you're a believer, this broken world will end. 
Think about all the bad news that you've seen or read this past week. Maybe you've experienced for yourself in your own life. Maybe you're struggling and you're hurting today. Maybe you're diseased and broken down. Maybe your life is a shambles. It's a, it's a wreck of its former self. He is redemption. He will one day come and make all things right. And it will be by his power that that happens. Jesus Christ is wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption to the ugly and the foolish. I don't know if you guys have ever, uh, ever watched a sport, maybe played a sport, and uh, I've tried to play sports, um, tried. I was talking with Dale earlier, but we were like putting up these uh, um, draperies, and, and uh, I can reach it without a, a chair, which <laughs> Dale can't, but I was saying like, hey, hey, I, I have height, but I have no ups. Dale has ups and no height. I'd rather be in his, in his shoes, actually. But I, I've tried to play sports before. And, you know, when, when somebody, like, has an assist, like, they find you open and they, they, they pass you the ball and you put it in the hoop. Like, that never happened for me. But if, it, if, if theoretically that ever happened to you, if, if, so, if, the, if, if somebody throws you the football and you catch it, it's like perfect, just lays out right there. And I was kind of fast. And so every now and then this would happen. And they laid it right there and I actually caught it, didn't drop it. And I scored a touchdown. What do you do? You point to the guy who passed you the ball. You give him props. Hey, thanks. You did this. You know what heaven is? You know what the life of a believer is like? It's continually discovering all that God has done for you in Jesus Christ. How he is everything for you. And you giving him mad props all day long. All life long. All eternity long. It will constantly be unfolding before us. All that he has done for us. Therefore, because of that, because of all that he has done for us, for the ugly and the foolish that have been made beautiful in Jesus. That's what you've done. If you are a believer in Christ today, you've been made beautiful in Jesus. I've been calling you the ugly and the foolish all day. We are. But in Christ, you are beautiful. It's his beauty that we get. And if you're not a believer today, it's his beauty that can be yours through repentance and faith. Therefore, we boast in our weakness. Therefore, we boast in our ugliness. Therefore, we boast in the foolishness that we are a part of as Christians. Therefore, we boast in the cross, even though it's a crazy, ugly story. Because we boast in God's power, not ours. The end of the story is that God gets all the glory. We boast in his beauty, not ours. He gets all the glory for it. So throughout life and throughout all eternity, the posture of a believer is one that says, I and myself am weak and poor and despised. I am ugly and I am foolish, but... You have done this. You have brought me to yourself in the foolish story of the cross. And he gets all the glory for it. It's all of him. He's the giver. He's the gift. He is everything. The church is the bride of Christ. And only the ugly and foolish enter through the ugly cross. The church is the bride of Christ and only the ugly and foolish enter through the ugly cross. 
So today, if you're not a believer, we're going to take some time before communion. Jonathan's going to come up and the band's going to play for just a minute. And John's going to come up and, and kind of intro us into communion. In that meantime, would you consider all that Christ has done for you and repent of your sins and place your faith and trust in the ugly, beautiful story of the cross? If you're a believer today, would you let the Spirit of God deal with you to see maybe where in your life have you been boasting other than the cross? Where have you been trusting? Maybe you gear towards the, the intellectual elite and it just doesn't make sense. And so you want to just ignore it sometimes. Or maybe on the other side, you think that you've got all the boxes checked off. And so the thinking of that, the fact that you don't have it together and you need him is a stumbling block to you today. Let's do some business with God and then come together as a family to partake of the foolish mystery of the body and blood of Jesus Christ and celebrate that he gets all the glory because the church is the bride of Christ and only the ugly and foolish enter through the ugly cross. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.